In those days, a decree went out from Caesar, and so everyone went to their town to be registered. Joseph went up from Nazareth to the city of Bethlehem along with Mary. And when they were there, it came time for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloth, and laid him in a manger. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the field at night and keeping watch over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born. For you who is the Messiah, the Lord. All right. Good morning, Riverview. It's good to be with you today. My name is Tony. I am one of the pastors here at Riv. All right. We're eight days away from Christmas. Yes. Okay. By a show of hands, how many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? Wow. Good job. All right. Hands down. How many of you, just a couple more things. You're, you're almost there. All right. And then last but not least, who's not even close? Yes, or maybe it hasn't started. Um, so this is when you sign up for Amazon Prime, right? This is when you get the, the one or two day shipping. But, but no, best of luck to all of you and look forward to celebrating with many of you a week from today on Christmas Eve. But earlier this week, I was just kind of reading around at various news online. And as I did, uh, so I actually was just kind of seeing a really common thread between a lot of the headlines that, that I was seeing. Many of the headlines, for some reason or another, they were all about these rescue stories or, or, or stories of heroes, right? Everyday heroes within 24 hours of each other. I actually found these headlines on various news sites. Cancun firefighters rescue a baby from a burning apartment. Selfless Minnesota deputy crawls across thin ice to rescue fishermen and dog. Motorists band together to rescue chihuahua running on a busy expressway. Yeah, but my favorite headline was this one. Coast Guard rescues surfers stuck on iconic rock from 80s adventure film. Um, (laughs) This is real. Apparently, two surfers were stranded on Haystack Rock where the movie The Goonies was shot. How many people have seen Goonies? Yeah. That iconic scene with the big rock, two surfers got stuck out there. Like, I don't know if they were looking for the rest of One-Eyed Willie's treasure or something. Like, I don't know. Uh, but they were able to make it to safety, uh, thankfully. But, but as I was looking at these news stories, I was just kind of reminded that, that as human beings, we, we love stories like this. We love hero stories and we love rescue stories, right? We love movies and, and books and, and news that involve people showing extraordinary bravery and courage and sacrifice for the sake of another person. And for some reason, these stories, they they resonate with us. They tap into a deep part of who we are as human beings. And this really came to mind for me this week as we are looking at the passage that we're going to be in in Luke chapter 1. Because we're in a series here at Riverview called, And He Shall Be Called. Because what we're looking at is we're looking at the various names and titles of Jesus uh, given in the Christmas narrative. And, And last week, 
we saw how Jesus was our Emmanuel, which means God with us. But this morning, the title for Jesus that we're looking at is how Jesus is the Savior. Now, that word Savior, it's actually not unique to Christianity. It's a word that we use in just everyday terms, right? And, and it's, it's, all it is meant to be... Um, all it's meant is that it's someone or something that saves another from danger or, or rescues another person. And we actually see this word overused sometimes. Uh, a sports team may call a player a savior, right? That they pick up in the middle of the season that saves their season. Or a new hire or a new leader in an organization may get this title because they save the organization from financial ruin. We see this savior word thrown around a lot. But when we think about Jesus, he wasn't just a savior, in one of these little ways, but he was the capital S Savior in the most important way. Well, we may not think of it, the Christmas story that we read and that we celebrate every single year is really the beginning of a rescue story. How God entered into creation by becoming like us. He entered creation for us to offer hope and redemption and salvation for our deepest need. And this morning, we're going to see what that is and really why that matters for us. So if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 39. The verses will be on the screen as well. But a couple of weeks ago, we were here in Luke chapter 1, and we saw this conversation between an angel named Gabriel and a teenage girl named Mary. And the angel had told her how God had chosen her. For, for his plan to bring about a savior into the world. And how this was going to happen was it was going to happen through her giving birth to a son. And while this news, it would have been incredible for teenage Mary to hear, we actually saw her response in chapter 1, verse 38, which is so encouraging. She said this, See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Today we're going to continue on with the next interaction that Mary has which is in starting in verse 39. It says this, In those days Mary set out, and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house, and she greeted Elizabeth. So soon after Mary gets this news from the angel, we see her travel. She goes to the house of one of her relatives named Elizabeth. Because in that same conversation that, that we saw a couple weeks ago that Mary had with this angel Gabriel, uh, he had told her that her relative, Elizabeth, was going to have a similar miracle happen to her as well. That Elizabeth was going to conceive, that she was going to have a child even though she was older. Earlier on in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Elizabeth is described as being well along in years, which is a nice way of saying she was old. <laughs> and, and what happened though, her and her husband, Zechariah, they couldn't have children. For some reason or another, it just wasn't able to happen for them. Naturally. But Gabriel, the same angel that visited Mary, visited Elizabeth and visited, or visited Zechariah and told Elizabeth that she was going to conceive. And so Mary is told this information from Gabriel, the same angel that visited her, and right away Mary leaves. She does what all of us do when a, really, when a relative or a friend shares really good news with us. She, she goes. It's like, we're coming over. We're celebrating with you. So Mary goes to Elizabeth's house. Verse 41 says this, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. So this is quite the welcoming party, right, that Mary gets from Elizabeth. Uh, She shows up, and as she says hi, Elizabeth's baby starts doing gymnastics (laughs) in her stomach. I remember when my wife Danielle was pregnant, like seeing our sons move around, it was always this surreal experience. But Elizabeth's baby isn't just squirming. He leaped. (laughs) He's jumping for joy that Mary is there. Why? Why would he do that? Well, Elizabeth's son in her womb had a purpose for his life that God had given him even before he was born. Elizabeth's baby boy was going to prepare the way for Jesus, the one that God was going to send to rescue his people. This baby boy that Elizabeth was carrying was John the Baptist. And in the Gospels, we meet John. And we see that he did this very thing. He was the voice crying out in the wilderness saying, make straight the paths for the Lord. He was the one that was to turn people, to help people see that a Savior was coming. So even before he was born, this baby boy recognizes God's work in Mary's life and what's going to happen. And and Elizabeth shares some really deep and profound truths with Mary. We see that the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. And then she starts saying these things to Mary that just blow her away. The first thing she says is, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. Mary was an ordinary young woman that God chose to bring about an extraordinary miracle in. And it's important here that we see what Elizabeth says about Mary is that she was blessed among women, not above women. Nothing about Mary really set her apart from others around her. She didn't earn her way into being chosen by God for his plan. It was purely his grace that led to her choosing of her. You know, some groups of people throughout history and still today, they they elevate Mary, excuse me, they elevate Mary to a place that really goes beyond what Scripture teaches. Maybe they pray to her, they believe in her intercession for them, but nowhere in the Scriptures do we see that we should pray to anyone except God. He alone is who we worship. He He alone is who we pray to. So on one side, we don't minimize Mary and her faithfulness and God's blessing in her life, but on the other side, we also don't want to ascribe to her what only belongs to God, and that is our worship. The aspect of of Mary's life that we see Elizabeth praise more than anything else in this moment is Mary's faith. We actually see this in the very next thing she says in verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Of all the things Elizabeth could have said about Mary, she praised her faith, that she believed in God's word to her. It's not her obedience to the law. It's not how generous of a person that she is or how much of her time she commits to serving others. It's it's that she believed the word God had spoken to her. We see in this moment, something happens to Mary. She's overcome with worship and praise of, of who God is. She's just overwhelmed by the grace of God in her life. And over the next nine verses, if you have a Bible with you, you'll actually see that the formatting of the narrative changes. Up until this point, it was written in paragraphs, right? Kind of like we read just normal narrative accounts. But what you'll see here in the next verse is it begins to look like a psalm. 
And that's because Mary responds in worship to the words that she hears Elizabeth say to her. Whenever you see that formatting change happen in Scripture, this is because a person is responding to the situation in front of them with song or with praise or with worship. We see this in Exodus 15 with Moses and Miriam after they walk through uh, the parting of the Red Sea. They start to sing, and we see this formatting change happen. It also happened in, second, in 1 Samuel 2 with Hannah after God answers her prayer of having a child. And the same thing happens here with Mary. She's overwhelmed, and she begins to sing and praise God. And this is what she says. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary said this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. When in your life does your soul do this? When does your soul magnify the Lord? What kind of moments cause you to be overcome with the goodness and grace of God in your life? For Mary, it came when another person saw the work that God was doing in her and told her about it. Mary is overcome with worship and praise after Elizabeth highlights the grace of God happening, how he picked her, how she was going to be part of God's plan for her. And I think Elizabeth and Mary's interaction, it shows us something that would be really powerful for us to consider in this community of faith as we walk as brothers and sisters in Christ together. One of the best things we can do in our Christian faith is to help other people see what God is doing in them. To share the ways we see God changing them. The way that we see their faith, how they're becoming more and more like Jesus. Because we so often can't see it in ourselves, can we? I think about my life. The most encouraging moments in my faith aren't when I rack my brain for just how faithful and generous of a person I am. It doesn't happen. I'm most encouraged when someone else says, Tony, you may not see this, but I see you becoming like Jesus in this way. When you chose to do that or believe that or pursue this, you may not see it, but that is a good thing that you're doing. We should do that for one another. This week, I really want to encourage you to consider how you can do that. Think about your community. Think about your relationships, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Who can you just find and say, look, you may not see this, but I see God working in you in this way. It'd be so encouraging to them. In Mary's response, we see that her worship, it's all about God and his grace. It's totally God-focused. It's not self-focused. Seven times in the nine verses of her praise, we see this phrase, he has. He 
meaning God. He has looked with, with favor at the humble condition of his servant. He's done great things for me. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. And most of what Mary says here are actually psalms. She's remembering God's word. She's recalling the moments in the history of her people of God's faithfulness and generosity toward them. And then in verse 47, we see her say this, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is one of the first times we see the word Savior show up in Luke's gospel. And Mary recognizes, or she she uses that word because she recognizes that not only has God saved her, but that God has continually done so for her and her people. If you've read through much of the Old Testament, you see that this is the thread being pulled. God is a rescuer, and his people frequently need rescuing. When when the Israelites were enslaved and in exile and in enemy nation, God rescued them. How God rescued them from hunger in the wilderness when he gave them food every day. They had to do nothing for it except walk out of their tent and take it. That's all they had to do. Or when they were in the desert and had no water, God made water pour from a rock. He rescued them from thirst. Over and over again, God rescued. Earlier I shared how how these stories, these hero stories, these rescue stories, we, we love them. We click the headlines. We buy the books. We watch the movies. Because these stories, they resonate with us at the core of who we are. And that is because these rescue stories are echoes. They are echoes of the greatest rescue story that's ever been told, that we are a part of. The Christmas story, the story of how God would send a savior to the world for us. All throughout the New Testament, we see this title of savior be given to Jesus. And it wasn't just from his disciples or from from the apostles. It was actually from other groups of people too. In John chapter 4, Jesus has this interaction with a Samaritan woman at the well. And Jews and Samaritans, they didn't like each other. (laughs) There was a large historical rift between these two groups of people. But Jesus shares the truth of who he is with this woman. And she runs back to the town and she she tells them, come and meet this man who told me everything I ever did. And look at how this group of people respond to Jesus when they come back. John chapter 4, verse 39. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of the writers of the New Testament. And in one of his letters, he's just writing to Christians to encourage them. This is how he starts his letter, 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. John writes this in 1 John chapter 4. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us the Spirit. And we have seen and we testify 
that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. And then finally, the Apostle Paul in his letter to Titus writes this, Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works over and over and over again we see that Jesus is the promised Savior. He's the rescuer. He's the only one. The fulfillment of God's plan to to redeem people, to save us from our sins. We see today that Mary was part of that rescue story. God chose to use her in his plan to make a way for sin and Satan and death to be conquered forever. And when she heard of this plan, and she heard it from the angel, when she heard it from Elizabeth, she responded in worship. And I think we can learn from her example. See, as Mary reflected on what God had done in her life and what he was doing and what he was going to do in the future, she was led to wonder. And she was led to rejoice and to trusting him. We see Mary respond in wonder right away. Chapter 1, verse 46 of Luke, my soul magnifies the Lord. This ordinary teenage girl was in awe that God would choose her. Just an ordinary person in his plan to save the world. Secondly, we see that Mary rejoiced. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Like everyone else that had come before her, Mary needed saving. She was a sinner, just like us, in need of the grace of God. And she rejoiced that God saw her and her need for him. Finally, Mary trusted him and what God was going to do in her her future. Luke chapter 1, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And in verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he's spoken to her. You know, we we often forget this, but for Mary to respond in faith to God's plan for her life would have meant that she was in for a difficult road because Mary lived in an honor and shame culture. At the end of this passage, we see that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for, for three more months, and then she came back home. And when she came back home, three months pregnant, you know what people would have seen? They would have seen a baby bump. They would have seen her expecting. And you know what they would have done? They would have done the math. Wait a minute. Mary's not married. What's going on here? And that would have brought shame to her and Joseph. But Mary chose to trust God, even though it meant that others may have judged her or thought ill or wrong of her. See, when we think about Christmas, the beginning of the greatest rescue story, how we are the ones God came to save, we should respond in the same ways that Mary responded. 
regarding God's work in her life, we should respond with wonder and with rejoicing and with trust. Mary wondered at what God had done in her past. She reflected on God's grace to her and her people over the centuries. She rejoiced about what God was doing in her in the present, that he picked her for his purposes. And finally, she trusted him for what was coming in the future, that he would continue to sustain her as she walked in faith in her community. You know, to wonder, it's to have that feeling of surprise and that feeling of admiration that comes from something beautiful and unexpected. And what God did for us, it is all of those things. It is beautiful and it's unexpected and it's inexplicable. Because the rescue story, it didn't begin once humanity had gotten its act together. Or when, when he, the human race had finally improved enough for God to think, okay, now they're ready. No, it was the opposite. Jesus entered the world to rescue sinners. His enemies. We see the Apostle Paul describe this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Look at what he writes. But God proves his own love for us in that, for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Then verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? That is a rescue story. A rescuer coming to rescue enemies. Those who rejected him, who spat on him, who mocked him. There's no rescue story like that. This truth leads us to wonder that as we were sinning, as we were living for ourselves, as we were walking further and further away from God, he pursued us. He came near. He made a way for us to be reconciled back to him. To experience this grace of God, it first comes from seeing your need you won't be rescued if you don't accept it, if you don't believe it, that you need it. First, it comes from accepting and believing that yes, we are far from God in our sin, but that Jesus came near to reconcile us. If you've never chosen to follow Christ, choose to follow him today, to believe and to wonder at this truth of what God has done for you. And if you've already done that, if you're here and you are a Christian, look at your life and wonder at God's grace to you. Answer this question, what has God done in your life in the past that just leads you to awe and admiration of who he is? Along with wonder, like Mary, our faith, it should lead us to rejoice. You know, the word joy is a word we see a lot around the Christmas season. We sing about it. We decorate our trees with ornaments that say joy on it. We, we see that word show up in the Christmas story. And, and joy is a little bit different than just feeling happy. Because we all pursue happiness, right? And, and gladness and, and well-being. But, but joy is the deeper well 
in which that happiness should come from. Joy is a deep contentment of the soul. And it's something that God actually does in us. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that the Spirit just grows in us as we walk in faith every day. We don't white-knuckle joy. If someone tells you to be joyful, you don't often think, all right, you want to punch them, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's something that happens. God does it as we rest in his truth of who we are and what he's done. It's a result of what God is doing. See, Jesus talked about this in Luke 15. Jesus told all these parables in Luke 15 about lost things being found. And one of his stories he shared was about this shepherd who loses one of his 100 sheep. And he goes and he looks for the one. He leaves the 99 behind to find the one that's lost. And this is what Jesus said. This is his ending line from this parable, Luke 15, verse 7. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Throughout the Gospels, we see over and over again that nothing compares to the joy of being known by God and knowing him. Not more money, not more stuff, not more relationships. Nothing else compares. And as Jesus interacted with people, as he spoke to them, as he touched them, as he taught them, we see their lives change because they experience that deep contentment of the soul because they finally experience the rescue that Jesus came to accomplish. Think about your life right now. Where can you rejoice in what God is doing in your life today? Finally, when we remember that Jesus is the Savior that was sent into the world for us, that leads us to continue to trust in him. Jesus himself, at the end of his earthly life, he modeled this for us. If you remember, as he went to the cross, he was praying to his heavenly Father. He was about to take on the weight of our sin and experience separation from his heavenly Father for the first time. And he asked, God, Abba, Father, is there another way? If there is, can you just take this cup from me? But that's not the last thing Jesus said. The last thing he said was not my will, but yours be done. Jesus trusted in God's plan for his life. How through his perfect life, his death on the cross, and through his resurrection, that people would have the opportunity to be rescued. Mary trusted in God's plan for her life for the work and the, what he had put before her to be faithful in and to trust him in, even though that meant hardship with her relationships, with her health, with her community. For Mary, it was worth it because she knew God was with her. Where do you in your life, and whatever is next, where do you need to trust in God and in his plans for you for the future. See, as we think about the Christmas story, what God has done for us, we're led to these things. 
we're led to wonder and to rejoice and to trust him. I want to encourage you, think about those questions this week. Just where God has you, your past, your present, your future. What has God done in your life that leads you to awe and wonder of who he is? Where can you rejoice in what God is doing in you today? And finally, where do you need to trust him for whatever's next? These questions, they remind us that we are the recipients of the greatest rescue story that's ever been told, of God coming near, becoming like us, so that we could experience life with him today and forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you just that all these stories we see and that we watch and that we read, these stories of rescue and sacrifice and courage, Lord, that they are echoes of the greatest story where a rescuer entered the world for us in a way that we didn't expect. God, as we sing these Christmas songs and as we reflect on this story, help us just be grateful that you saw us in our need. Lord, that you made a way. God, as we think about Jesus as the Savior, God, I pray that we can trust in that reality either for the first time or for the hundredth time today. And we can see how much of a blessing it is that we can know you and be known by you as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.